Welcome to Holistic Ambition, where we talk with visionary leaders who are redefining what it means to be ambitious. We cover ways you can live with more well-being, meaning, and fun in your career, business, and relationships. I'm your host, Stephanie Toma, life coach for ambitious professionals and author of Confident Introvert. Today we have Tinsley with us. Tinsley is an influencer coach with over six years of experience in travel and tourism marketing. Tinsley helps influencers and content creators turn their passion for travel into a career by landing paid brand partnerships. Oh my goodness, Tinsley, you know, I'm so curious about how people can kind of understand how you went from having the idea of loving to travel to beginning to monetize that travel. Yeah, I honestly think (laughs) that's a great question. It really goes back to my freshman year in college. I majored in journalism and we had to have some type of platform for us to showcase our work on. So I decided to create a blog and I said, I'm going to write all about my life on my blog. And then I started to go to blogger events in my area because I noticed that there were people out there actually monetizing their blogs. So I wanted to see what that was all about. So I went to blogger events in the area that I was living in at the time, which was Tampa, Florida. And, um, From there, I decided that it was important to have a niche. So I was thinking, well, what do I write about the most on my blog? And I was thinking, okay, I travel a lot. I travel at least once every two months. So I really niched down within travel and started to find different opportunities for me to monetize travel and um, dove into influencer marketing. The pandemic came around and I landed my first hotel collaboration during the pandemic, which is crazy to say. (laughs) Um, And that was with a hotel based in South Carolina. It was a wonderful experience. But after that, it was really hard for me to find partnerships, especially paid opportunities as an influencer with so much uncertainty going on in the world. So I actually went to the brand side and I learned how brands were working with influencers, but more specifically in the travel space. So I worked with tourism boards, airlines, hotels on how they run their influencer marketing campaigns. And from there, that's where I really learned where the big bucks are going. The marketing dollars are going to pay these influencers um, to travel. And you see, I love this connection with going to an event and seeing bloggers and being inspired by people almost acting as, uh, you know, an image of something that you aspire to be. And then reverse engineering, paving your own way to make that a part of your lifestyle. And actually, I should probably add the context about how we met, which is kind of cool. It's very in alignment with this topic of travel tourism. Uh, At the time, you were living in Mexico City. And as a digital nomad, I was as well for one month. And we were each in a um, a WhatsApp group for digital nomads. And then (laughs) we literally met in that group and got a shared Uber together to go to the Frida Museum. And that's how our friendship blossomed. And, you know, I'd love for you to share about um, just kind of how, um, how openness to experience has played a role in establishing brand partnerships, but also thriving uh, as a digital nomad. 
So my love for travel and how it has helped in the digital nomad space. Well, I can definitely say that the more that I've traveled. So right after college, I told myself, you know what, I really want to get the opportunity to travel more um, because I had my own apartment. I had a car. I had all these expenses on my plate that were taking me back from getting the chance to actually be, be able to travel. So I got rid of all of that broke my lease, quit my jobs, sold my car, um, and moved to Mexico City. And while I was there, I was meeting a lot of digital nomads that did the same exact thing as me, really just wanted an opportunity to travel and work as well. But something that I noticed is that they were paying like full price for a lot of their travel expenses. And I was thinking, you guys travel so often, you're posting it on your Instagram, you're posting it on your your Snapchat and all the social media platforms that you have, you should you should get paid for this. Wow. So that's where that connection really came about. And I actually um, inf- influenced a lot of dig- digital nomads to start reaching out to hotels and land partnerships with hotels. Um, some have actually got the opportunity to do it as well, because it's just like, you know, you're posting all your travels all the time. You're influencing your audience to do it. They're travel influencers and they don't even realize it. You know, can you tell us a little bit more about what it means to be an influencer and do you need a certain number of followers to be an influencer or engagement? Yeah. So that. That is something that I definitely think everyone has their definition for, their own definition for. Um, So when you probably see an influencer just outside looking in, you're thinking, oh, someone that basically takes pictures of everything that they do and records all every aspect of their life. Um, But from a marketing standpoint, from like the brand side, an influencer is almost like a walking advertisement for us. An influencer is truly someone who is an authentic person that's able to show a consumer what it's like to use a product or what it's like to travel to this destination without them having to see a commercial. Because nowadays commercials are really, in the tourism marketing standpoint, seeing a commercial, it's kind of hard to see yourself as like that person who's laying on the beach with her hot husband. And it's hard for you to see yourself in that type of way of marketing. But when you see an influencer doing it and she's a digital nomad, her life is similar to you. You're like, wow, I can actually do this. Yeah. So it's almost like, you know, one of the reasons for Yelp's success is Mm -hmm. because instead you can't experience everything yourself firsthand, at least at first. And sometimes you don't want to learn the hard way that something is, you know, objectively a good experience or not great experience. So it sounds like, you know, people who are micro influencers, and I believe that's about a thousand followers or more. Um, can you tell us about that trend of companies being more open to, or even targeting micro influencers, um, and sort of what you believe uh, that look for that is? Yeah, absolutely. So there are different levels of influencers. Um, Just to quickly run through them, nano influencers are influencers that have 10,000 followers and less. Micro influencers are influencers that have 100,000 followers. Oh, wait, let me back up. The 10,000 followers to 100,000 follower range is usually micro influencers. And then 100,000 all the way up, we categorize them to mega influencers. And if you have a million followers plus you're a celebrity, that's how we categorize you. So 
a lot of brands really depending on what their marketing goal is when it comes into influencer marketing, if it sells, we usually recommend that they work with nano and micro influencers. This being because they have a smaller audience, which means that small audience is likely to be more engaged and know that influencer very well. Mm, yeah. So if you really want to see a return on your investment, like if you really want to see a nano influencer with 3000 followers post about going to Puerto Rico, for example, and you really want to see that, wow, like three people and five people actually booked a trip after she posted about Puerto Rico. That's usually with the nano and micro influencers, you will see that type of return on investment. So that is the reason why a lot more brands are geared towards working with influencers with smaller audiences. And see, so that that's even a good rule of thumb. So you're a nano influencer if you're under 10,000 followers. If you're 10,000 to 100, then you're a micro influencer. Mm-hmm. And then you're a celebrity if you're over 100K. <laughs> is that right? From 100K to 1 million, you're a mega influencer. And then 1 million is celebrity. Yes. Okay, good. We'll have this written clearly somewhere for people, but you can bearing with us. We are getting this clear. That's it's so often to have that framework. And let's say, um, what would be your recommendation? Let's kind of cover all the bases from the nano to the micro to the mega to the celeb. What or what is like, can you give us one or two tips per category, starting with the lowest level of how you would recommend that people reach out or even presenting themselves online uh, to be able to get these tourism partnerships going? Yeah, absolutely. So starting out with the with the nano influencer, so that's the influencer with ten thousand followers and less. Um, I, online, I could I would recommend really creating content that grows and engages your tight niche audience. Because when you reach out to brands, what you can leverage is the fact that your audience and your engagement rate is excellent. So industry standard for influencer marketing is one to 3% engagement rate is considered excellent engagement rate, which is crazy to say. Only 1% of your audience needs to be engaged in order for you to be technically qualified for these paid partnerships. But when you're dealing with influencers that have less than 10K followers, of course, their engagement rate is going to be way higher than 3%. So that is something that brands really look at and they're like, wow, like we want to work with this person because they have a great connection with their audience. Um, so for ma- for micro influencers, so those are ones from 10K to 100K, usually around that range, you start to notice that your engagement rate does drop because you're getting more followers. So I would recommend really continuing to foster that relationship with your followers. Um, get your engagement to at least over 3%. If it's a, if it's at 1%, that's great too. But I think 3% is going to make brands say, okay, we want to work with you. And then when you present yourself to brands, well, not only can you leverage that you have a large audience, but you can also leverage that you have a large audience and they're still engaged. Mm. And then with a macro, correct me wrong, correct me, I actually realized that it's considered to be a macro influencer when you're 100K to 1 million. As a macro influencer, we know you're going to have the lower engagement rate. Um, So when brands actually work with macro influencers, usually their goal for their campaign is brand awareness. 
which means, okay, we don't, we're, we don't mind if we don't get in any sales or any people booking the destination. If you post, we just want more people to know about our, our location. So just really quickly, like some examples for campaigns like that. And this applies for um, mega influencers slash celebrity influencers too. So if you have over 1 million followers, brands will work with those kind of influencers, say if there's a new restaurant at a hotel, and they want everybody to know about that new restaurant, they will work with an influencer that has a bigger audience. Or if there's a new theme park in a certain destination, in a new city, they will work with an influencer that has a big audience so that they can raise that brand awareness around that theme park. Yeah. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is that there's an emphasis on products maybe and product awareness at the consumer level when you have a smaller audience. And then when you have a larger audience, it's more about brand recognition and, and getting the word out about something, whether it can tangibly be tied to ticket sales or not. And then, I mean, you know, just let's say that someone's taking notes, which by the way, if you're listening to this, if you would like to be in the influencer slash tourism space, I hope that you are taking notes, go ahead and rewind it if you have not been. Uh, but let's say keep, keeping those benchmarks going for someone who's at the 1 million plus mark, what is one recommendation that you have for them if somehow maybe at that point, I imagine they are getting a lot of inbound. Uh, maybe how can someone in that situation be discerning? Well, usually as you, yeah, you mentioned that correctly. <laughs> when you have like 1 million followers, um, you are getting like a lot of inbound requests from brands. Um, usually at that point, influencers tend to outsource their um, collaborations. So they'll work with an influencer manager, which is basically someone who negotiates all your partnerships. And if you land one, well, you will land one, but they negotiate all your partnerships and you give them a certain percentage of how much you make from that partnership. Um, me being someone that runs um, influencer campaigns. And I tend to talk with these um, managers for influencers all the time. A quick tip that I'll give you is make sure you know your manager well, because there are a lot of managers that I've worked with that are rude. And we love the influencer. We love the content. We love their audience, but we don't want to work with them again because of their manager. Mm. So that's just a quick tip. Um, and then also, if you're over the 1 million mark, I would really even start to step into other opportunities far beyond just a collaboration on social media. Like if you have a million followers, they even consider you for commercials nowadays. Because yeah. I mean, you're at a celebrity point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, okay, that's awesome. It, and, you know, I'm curious, what about, so maybe someone watching is like, okay, that's amazing, that's aspirational when it comes to being celebrity status. But let's say they have, maybe they're at the lowest possible level, which is totally fine. And, um, like even myself, I think my current following, oh my gosh, I would be constituted as like the nano influencer at the moment. And I get a lot of inbound, you know, and I get inbound for products. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe they comment on a photo, slide into my DMs. Um, I, I have gotten inbound for event spaces in San Francisco, which I've actually appreciated and, and used actually, nice. but typically it's like a lot of jewelry. I'm curious mm -hmm. what your thoughts are on that because it seems to, it doesn't always resonate, you know, it seems like, oh, we'll give you one piece of jewelry valued at, you know, who knows how much. And then we want you to do a post, like how can someone be discerning between what is spam and what is real with those inbound requests at that level? Right. 
I have seen a lot of that happen. Um, always do your due diligence and do your research when you receive um, requests like that. Um, typically, from an industry standpoint, we, I don't want to just say this for everyone, but typically we will always reach out to you over email rather than through social media. The only time we'll reach out to you over social media is if you haven't responded to our email or if we don't know what your email is. Um, but when you speak about, you know, can, we'll give you this in exchange for this. I personally believe unless it's a diehard brand, like your favorite brand, in the whole wide world, or if they're giving you a lot of comp things in a travel partnership, you should never do a partnership for free, free exchange. Or as I mentioned, unless you really, really love that brand and you're like, no, like I want to work with this brand. Or if they're flying you business class and, you know, you're staying at this luxurious place and you're like, okay, like they're giving me the, the spoiled treatment. I'm willing to do this, but I, I would never recommend doing a free exchange collaboration because a lot of influencers, when they start off, they don't realize how much time goes into these collaborations. In some cases, it really is exchanging time for money because it takes time to shoot your content, edit it, post it, engage with your audience on that post, send over your analytics to the brand. Like there's a lot of it, like it's a lot of things that are time consuming. So you should be compensated for the work that you're doing and the time that you're putting in. Yeah. And, you know, I kind of want to expand upon that point. You mentioned that, uh, you know, the level of authenticity is super important being really aligned. So it's like, okay, if you actually love the brand and you would even do it for the product because you're that aligned with the product, then maybe go ahead. But in most cases, no. And that actually reminds me, um, I used to work in the natural food world's CPG, consumer packaged goods. And, you know, upon occasion, there would be uh, celebrities that would actually post about this snack product. And, um, you know, totally unsolicited, you know, nothing was done. It just existed in the market and they liked it. So let's say that there's a brand manager who's tuning in right now and they just had an, oh my goodness moment because their stuff has been shouted out. How can that press be leveraged effectively? Hmm. That's a really great question because that actually brings up a case um, for one of the hotels that I represent. We saw the other day that the New Jersey housewives stayed at our hotel. And we're like, why didn't they reach out to us? We would have given them a free stay, but it was just like so interesting that they decided to choose that hotel and stay at that hotel. So as far as leveraging press in that kind of situation, I would say Sometimes it's difficult. It really just depends on what it is. Um, but in a case like that, I mean, just simply ask, can we reshare? Because that can always be great user-generated um, content. Um, and then from there, I would recommend how can you continue to um, foster that relationship, nurture that relationship? Like, how can you get them to post more about it? Reach out to them and say, you know, what about this brand you love so much? What made you want to pick that brand? Pick that brand because it's it's always interesting when we're looking for influencers for our campaigns. We're like, you know, we're really starting from scratch. We're starting from zero, but we don't know that there's so many like diehard fans out there that may already be influencers and with the platform. So it's always great to tag brands when you post them because you never know that could turn into like a paid collaboration. We just couldn't find you at the time. Yeah. So, I mean, that's so interesting. I know that, you know, from that case of the snap company, of course, 
this, it was a famous, um, like soccer player and she was sent a bunch of free swag and additional products, you know, kind of gently encouraging, Hey, if you want to post again, go for it. Um, but can some, is it possible? So it, this is so cool that, you know, posting like that can turn into, you know, more freebies or even a paid partnership. I'm, and this kind of brings up scarcity and abundance mindset. Uh, you know, and where I'm going with this is let's say that someone wants to post about a brand, but they're thinking, wait, but I, I want a paid partnership. And I, if I post for free now, will they continue to expect free posts? What would you say to someone who's finding themselves in one of those situations of going back and forth between, you know, should the free post come first and then more, or somehow maybe going a different route and then getting paid from the very beginning? What's most effective? Wow. I, that's, that's a really, really great point. I guess I'll touch on, I'll definitely touch on the first part, allow it to be natural, allow it to be authentic. Um, simply when you're traveling, a lot of people tag the restaurant that they're at. You're not expecting anything from that. A lot of people tag that their hotel, the hotel that they're at. So let it be natural. If you're waking up in the morning and you're like, Oh my goodness, I just love this face soap that I used. I'm going to post it today and tell my audience about it tag them and let it be natural. Like, don't let it, don't feel like, oh, well, I need to post this face soap because I really want to land a collaboration with them. And like, you know, cause then you start to feel some type of resistance towards it and, and that's not what you want. Um, and then once the brand reaches out and they decide, you know, oh my God, thank you so much for, you know, choosing to post our brand, our face soap <laughs> in this case, um, would you be interested in posting it again, but in a real that's when you charge. <laughs> That's when you draw the line because it's something additional that you didn't even intend on doing that they're wanting clearly for their marketing purposes. So if they they want you to do that for their marketing purposes, in a lot of cases, brands have marketing budgets. So that's when you tell them what your prices are. And if they decide to move forward, amazing. If they don't, well, then on to the next. <laughs> and see, what, what a great lesson here to really lead with authenticity. If you're already social with your audience, or maybe if you're not yet, but there are things that you're genuinely excited about and maybe even going through the test of, you know, what I tell my friend about how great the space watch is. And then you're like, yeah, well then maybe my audience should know about it too. And literally just how things manifest, you let it go and whatever happens happens. So that's really great advice that you just gave in terms of a step-by-step process that people can take. Uh, from the beginning, uh, utilizing mindset, and then also uh, being proactive and turning it into a paid opportunity. And, you know, something we were talking about earlier, uh, before we started recording, was about personal branding, and particularly the power of a name. So can you tell us about the evolution of Tinsley? Yes, absolutely. So it's interesting. Okay. So Tinsley is my last name. My first name is Alexis. Um, but it's almost before I could even remember in middle school, everyone just started calling me Tinsley. And that was because we will go into class and every, you know, you say the name Alexis and three different people look and turn because there's so many different Alexis's in the class. So um, eventually our teachers just started calling us by our last name or they'll say Alexis T for Alexis Tinsley or Alexis M for whoever the other Alexis would be. So then the last name Tinsley really just stuck with me because it was so unique. And some people would say, wow, that can actually be a first name. And um, there's still some people till this day that don't know that my first name is Alexis because so many people call me Tinsley. Um, 
so from there, it's it's just evolved with me from middle school to high school to college to digital nomad life and into my business. Like I've always been known as Tindley. Yeah. And, you know, a takeaway for that is, let's say if someone listening, maybe they're a fellow Stephanie, maybe they're a fellow Alexis, that, yeah, there's an opportunity to have some home with your middle name or last name um, to kind of, you know, we were talking earlier about being known on a first name basis, but I know it's your last name, but, you know, it, it, it is cool that I can't say it, that I have met or even really heard of another Tinsley. So that is, is very unique. And now, you know, as we begin to wrap up, I am curious about how, with all of your knowledge in tourism and all of your knowledge in the influencer space, how do you define ambition? Yes. So I define ambition with alignment. And I love that we're actually talking about this topic and that you started holistic ambition. Um, because I just noticed within the within the generations nowadays between Gen Z and millennials, um, we no longer hustle, hustle, hustle for like things that older generations used to, shall I say, like we're, we're really intentional about the things that we choose for a career, the places we want to stay, the partners that we want. So when I define um, ambition as alignment, I think for us and just for me in general, um, it's really about choosing like what is in alignment with me like what do I feel ambitious about and is it in alignment with my happiness more importantly Mm, yes you know that kind of brings us into the next question if you were to give us a word maybe a phrase what does holistic ambition mean to you Mm, that's a great question um holistic ambition Overall, I would say it will go deeper into my um, thought on alignment. So like just a a more broad view, like when I think of alignment and different things that feel in alignment about my life, um, I think about, okay, so how does this decision feel about in my mind? Like, how does this decision feel in my body? How does it feel in my soul? Because all of those different things is what will make me make the ultimate decision. Is it a yes or is it a no? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. So there is more wisdom where that came from, I am sure. And, you know, for those listening that are eager to learn more about you, to stay connected with you, potentially work with you and really amplify their own influence, uh, how can people go about connecting with you? So you can follow me on Instagram at, um, travel with Tinsley. And then I also have inside the link in my bio, a featured link is a free hotel pitch template. And within that template, you're going to have um, what exactly you should say to hotels when you pitch to them from you saying, hello, my name is all the way down to signing off, um, as well as an example of what your pitch should look like. I have some industry tips in there for you. And I also have a list of 50 global hotel brands that you can start pitching to today. So you already have the emails. You already know who to reach out to. Just pick the hotel and send off the pitch. Thank you for tuning in to Holistic Ambition. This is Stephanie Toma saying goodbye for now and inviting you to take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe. Until next time.